Welcome, everybody. It's time once again to grab your board, swim out into the world of ideas. See if you can catch a wave right here on Sales Pipeline Radio with perhaps the kindest sports fan I've ever met because he's not going to bring up the fact that my Minnesota Vikings didn't look like they were ready for prime time last week here. Not even going to bring brought it up. You brought it up, not me. I <laughs> Matt's not even going to rub it in, talk about it, whatever. Once again, the curse continues. No, you know what? It's so yes and no. I think you got a good team. You got an embarrassment of riches at quarterback. You got a strong defense that's mostly coming back next year. I know, like, I, I hate it, like, when my teams lose and everyone says, hey, they'll be back next year. They look good. Like, that's <laughs> it's really, really hard to get back there. We've been waiting uh, 50 years. <laughs> I know. You're talking to you're talking to a Chicago Cubs fan. Oh, so 50 boy. years is a very short amount of time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get there. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, well, so yeah, so uh, so football aside, as we wrap up the football season, both college and professional, and uh, really kind of hit our stride now in 2018. This is uh, our last episode of January. I can't believe we're already getting into February. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know best laid plans at the beginning of the month, beginning of the quarter, beginning of the year are now facing reality, and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's a challenge. And you know, wherever you are in your journey for 2018, thanks for joining us here on Sales Pipeline Radio. For those of you joining us live, as uh, as you do every week at 11.30 Pacific, 2.30 Eastern, thank you for joining us. We'll make this worth your while. For those of you that are subscribed on the podcast, thank you for listening to another episode. You can always find us on the iTunes Store and on Google Play. And every episode, past, present, and future of Sales Pipeline Radio, always available at salespipelineradio.com. Every week, we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds in B2B sales and marketing. Today is no different. I'm very, very excited to feature with us today, Ryan Bonici. He is the new CMO at G2 Crowd. And boy, do we have a lot of talks to talk about, a lot of different uh, ground to cover. But Ryan, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on Sales Pipeline Radio today. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking time. I know beginning of the year for you guys, you are new in your role. It's new in the year. You guys have a ton of stuff going on. So I appreciate you taking a little time out to talk to us. Um, you, uh, it Suffice it to say... Uh, your background and reputation uh, certainly precedes you. You have been at Microsoft, at Exact Target, at Salesforce, at HubSpot. Uh, you have made the rounds uh, in a fairly short amount of time. Uh, very, very impressive. What, what have you, as you come into this new role on G2 Crowd, what are some of the things you bring with you in terms of assumptions around how B2B marketing is working today? Well, look, Matt, I think it's really interesting, actually. I mean, in the G2 crowd space, what's excited me about the company and about the opportunity, and I think what I'm bringing to it is that unlike, I think, a lot of software businesses, which is where I've worked in a lot of my past companies, G2 crowd's quite unique, right, in the sense that we've got this double-sided marketplace similar to, say, an Airbnb or a Yelp or a Glassdoor, whereby, you know, we've got millions of consumers and business, I mean, business consumers, we might want to call them, that are coming to our site every month that are looking and learning about different software tools, they're rating and comparing them, and then they're choosing to buy certain ones of them. So that's like a big part of our business, right, is ensuring that we're creating content um, that helps them find the best software for their business. And then on the other side of the marketplace, we've got vendors, right, that we work with to help them find the best users and leads for their software as well. And so it's a really unique opportunity in my mind to lean into my B2B marketing skill set that's more enterprise-focused from Salesforce and Exact Target and Microsoft um, on the vendor side of the house. And then also then, I guess, lean in a bit more to my HubSpot skill set, which was much more focused on content marketing and inbound marketing to attract more of those uh, business consumers and users to our site so that they're learning about software and leaving more reviews about the software that they use. So 
I don't know. It's a pretty exciting opportunity, and I, I feel really grateful and lucky as a marketer to be able to lean into both B2B and B2C skill sets. So that's quite fun. Yeah, you guys are in a really fun space. I think if you're not familiar, definitely go check out G, the letter G, the number two crowd.com. Uh, it is a it is an online review marketplace for technology. It is very much uh, you know in a in a disrupt the Gartner and Foresters of the world space, and they're doing some really really interesting things. And you know you reference sort of the the supply and demand side of the business where you've got you've got reviewers, you've got suppliers. Fascinating for me is the marketing implications of having content as the product, and the product being in the manufacturing side of the business is really both. It is, it is product. It is something that is monetizable. It is also very much part of the content that you can use to market the business, to drive additional viewers, to drive repeat users, to drive word of mouth. Um, how, I mean, and you, you referenced the work you guys did at HubSpot. How is that different now at G2 Crowd, where you do have a greater uh, sort of overlap between product and, I guess, marketing? Yeah, I mean, it's really it's really interesting, I guess, because the thing that was quite different at HubSpot and, I mean, at any software company that I've worked at is that the, the product typically can't be used until someone buys the product, right? Um, so further down the sales cycle. So the product itself and the content within it and how great it is almost is less influential in those situations because, um, yeah, it doesn't have that same lever that it can pull for you. So I guess what's cool about our website and having this content that's so – you know, available to everyone online um, is that it drives a lot of SEO and a lot of our traffic is just coming in organically. I mean, actually, the majority of our traffic, sorry, is coming in organically to all of those product pages, those category pages, those comparison pages. And the crazy thing, I think, for me, and I think that's, like, really unique is that all of that content we haven't actually created, right? Like, that's the most fascinating thing to me is that there's been over, I think, I think we just broke the 340 or 350,000 review mark on our website just last week. So that's like, you know, almost half a million people have come to our site and left a review on the software that they're using, the software that they love, the software that they dislike, and the things that they love and the things that they dislike. So the momentum and the pace of the business is just accelerating faster and faster, not only as the, the traffic increases to people that are learning about different software, but the, the same people that are leaving reviews too. So seeming to be in this side of the business where content is still so important and is driving so many business outcomes for us. But it's almost that content is out of our hands in some degree, which I, which I love. And having that ability to be a bit distant from the content, I think provides us with a little bit more objectivity. And I think that's why it's been super easy for us to generate a lot of press and to generate a lot of interest from journalists and tier one publications, because we're, we're not saying that we're this, you know, analyst on, you know, a high mountain that has decided who should be on, you know, these lists. We're actually, in fact, letting real users of the software decide and tell us what, you know, does work and doesn't work. I think you're right. I think, you know, the, the fact that you don't have full control over the content, I mean, look, it presents its challenges for sure. But I also think it lends an element of authenticity that a lot of other companies just don't have access to in the same way. Uh, and another thing I want to spend some time talking about today is just how... G2 Crowd has has been really, really smart about leveraging some of that content for PR purposes. Uh, it is hard to navigate the B2B content world, the B2B marketing sort of news sites and, and LinkedIn feeds without seeing some of the lists you guys have recreated. I mean, you, because you have, uh, you have directories of companies in various uh, geographies and various segments, um, you're able to build some rankings of those and build some listicles, so to speak, of 
those companies. And you've been getting a lot of PR for that. It's been written up. You've got companies that are high up on those lists of, you know, top tech companies in Boston, top tech companies in Austin, top tech companies in the mid-market space or certain industries and verticals. I mean, the, the PR has been great. Talk a little bit about that campaign, because I think, you know, not only the results and, and, and success that's had, but it seems like a lot of companies have that opportunity to take some of their own data, some of their own content and repurpose it into formats that can drive a lot more virality. Yeah, look, I think it's a it's a unique kind of challenge I think other companies maybe face a little bit more significantly than we do here because I think for us, when we're creating these lists, like, for example, the B2B tech scene in San Francisco or Boston or Seattle or any of these big cities, it's nice is that we're kind of functioning as a curation um, and we're positioning it in, in, in a different kind of segment than what it would normally be on our site. But again, though, we're still going back to all of that user-generated data in the first place and then just reorganizing that and showcasing it in different ways. So in some ways, it makes our job a little bit easier because when we are going to market and when we are talking to journalists and when they're reaching out to us, which is more so the case, we're not talking about ourselves, right? We're talking about their industry or their city if they're a journalist in a certain city or, or what they care about. And I think that's where so many B2B marketing executives and CMOs and heads of PR go wrong is that they just have a tendency to focus on themselves and only create content and only create, sorry, attempt to create news about themselves. So insert company name X did Y, you know, like we did this thing. And I think the challenge when you are going to market and just talking about yourself is that no one wants to like talk to or listen to someone that only wants to talk to themselves, right? And talk about themselves. It's, if you just think of yourself at a party, I mean, the person that asks you questions about you and talks about things that you're interested in is the, the person that you want to be around, not the person that just talks about how great they are and boasts. And so I think B2B PR is no different there. However, I think CEOs potentially don't understand how to leverage their CMO and their, you know, their director of comms or their director of PR properly. And I think a lot, oftentimes they try and leverage PR for something that it might not be built for. So a good example where, you know, I think a lot of CEOs try and force their PR teams to focus on is generating links because it helps with SEO. But, you know, journalists and publications are less and less likely today to include links, especially on those keywords or things that you want for. And so, I don't know, I feel like, you know, when you're trying to, you know, use that PR function in the incorrect way, it just ends in that team not being satisfied and the CEO not being satisfied with PR. So. I don't know, does that kind of give you a little bit of a high level in terms of my thoughts? I can go into more detail into any aspect of that, but just want to stop there and give you a chance, Matt. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great place to it's a great place to start on that. And I think uh, you know, there's you can definitely if you if you go to you know g2crowd.com, if you check out Ryan's uh, Twitter handle at Ryan uh, Bonici, uh, just at Ryan Bonici, you can see some examples of some of those lists. And I think your your caution for companies around PR is certainly important. I think that you know there's certain channels that you really you know, you can't ask it to do more than it's capable of doing. And I think when you take something like PR and to a certain extent content marketing and try to make it too much like a direct response channel, you're trying to create value and you you slip in a demo request at the end, it can neuter the impact and the authenticity of the entire piece. Uh, we're going to have to take a break here in a couple of seconds, but, you know, t can you give a quick comment on like what, how do you think about PR and how do you justify PR, especially to an executive team in sort of the age of the growth hacker? In the age of every single little thing that marketing does has to have some kind of an immediate ROI or be measurable to revenue. And as, as much as I like revenue responsible marketing, sometimes PR is a different animal. Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. And I'd say with PR, I mean, if you want to do it properly in the B2B space, 
I think it, you need to focus much more on relationship building and truly getting to know some key journalists, the, the key publications that you care about. And, you know, that could be, that could be any publication ultimately will be different for each company. But I think once you start to build those relationships and, you know, take those people out for lunch and educate them on the industry and help them learn things that they might not already know, just naturally they're going to start to learn more about you, more about your company. And I think over time then that helps you create some of that. I think of it as like, company culture slash pillar content for a business. So, you know, it might be the New York Times or Wall Street Journal kind of, you know, column all about your CEO or your CMO or about your culture as a business. Like those kinds of pieces don't often come from journos just sending out, uh, sorry, from PR people sending out pitches. They come from, you know, a lot of relationship building, but then also actually having a great product that you're pitching. So in PR, you're pitching your company, you're pitching your culture, you're pitching your product. If those things aren't, you know, best practice or better than best practice, then why on earth would a journalist want to cover it in the first place? So, you know, we were chatting with our PR agency yesterday and talking about, you know, areas where we could further develop our company culture so that we were, you know, not only creating buzzworthy content that the media would be interested in, but also creating content that would push our culture forward as a company, right? And, you know, focusing on important values to us. And so I think there's an interesting opportunity for PR people to, actually sit a little bit more in the driver's seat and be a little bit more involved in company strategy if they work with their PR teams to truly understand how can we differentiate in our marketplace. But, you know, if you're going to just install a nap room today, that's not going to work in terms of the PR strategy because, you know, there's a lot of companies, HubSpot was one of them, that kind of pioneered that nap room, the sleeping pods thing, as Google did, and now it's no longer newsworthy. So, yep. look, I think it's a really interesting space, but, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of strategies and tactics that are still very applicable today. Awesome. And we're going to get more of that after the break. We got Ryan Benici today. He is the new CMO at G2 Crowd. We're going to, after the break, we're going to pay a couple bills. We'll be back. We're going to talk more about uh, B2B reviews and the state of B2B reviews uh, amongst the buying cycle and amongst buyers today in B2B. Talk a little more about the mix of PR and in a revenue responsible marketing world. We're going to pay a couple bills. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sales Pipeline Radio. In a world where the speed of innovation and change in B2B marketing has never been greater, the only thing bigger is the need for clarity, for a blueprint, for a guide to what's really working. And how about a way to apply it specifically today to increase sales pipeline growth, velocity, and most of all, conversion. That's what you'll find in the Modern Marketer's Field Guide. And amazingly, you can download it for free. HeinzMarketing.com, just like it sounds, H-E-I-N-Z. M-A-R-K-E-T-I-N-G. It encompasses the entire sales and marketing cycle, but in quick bursts with lots of specific, actionable ideas, strategies, tactics you can put to work right away, like today. The loaded table of contents helps you narrow in and tackle a problem. And it's something you can come back to over and over again as a reference guide. Why not download your free copy of the Modern Marketer's Field Guide? It's free. HeinzMarketing.com, just like it sounds. H-E-I-N-Z, marketing.com. All right, back to Matt and his guest. All right, you know, Paul, we, we kind of forgot to, to, to reference at the beginning of the call, but I think we a couple weeks ago we talked about we were coming up on our 100th episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Blew right through and, it. 
It was last week. We didn't even, didn't even, didn't even do anything. Uh, we didn't celebrate. There was no, no confetti. We had no sound effects. And honestly, I, to, to, I think it's kind of representative of the show. Like we put our heads down. We do the work. We bring on good guests. We, 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 we let them kind of you know, just kind of take the spotlight. And that's just that's just kind of how we do. I think people really appreciate that. <laughs> thank you for the thank you for the can of applause. Um, well, and, and thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, if you if you have listened to all hundred and now hundred and one episodes of Sales Pipeline Radio, please let me know. Uh, we will send you a sticker or something that would be really impressive. Um, if you can tell me, if you send me a, send me a tweet and tell me who our very first guest was without looking at it, uh, I'll send you two stickers. So thank you, thank you everyone for joining us uh, as we continue this interesting journey. Uh, a little more with uh, Ryan Bacini today, the uh, CMO at G Two Crowd. Coming up next couple weeks next week we will be featuring eric spatzer he is the senior manager of sales enablement for citrix we're going to be talking about how to how to launch sales enablement at enterprise scale and how that can impact any business that wants to improve the efficacy of our sales team week after that we've got manny medina he is the ceo of outreach.io they are a sales acceleration company we're going to be talking about how to trust your sales team with technology to help them be more successful and then uh, into the rest of february we've got the cmo for ring central the cmo for on 24. We are just uh, CMO-centric here over the next couple of weeks in Sales Pipeline Radio, including today's guest, Ryan Bocini, bon, excuse me, Ryan Bonici, the CMO of G2 Crowd. And Ryan, before the break, we were talking about the importance and value of PR. And, and I want to I go a little further into that and talk about the right mix of sort of PR and really brand in a startup organization. I think a lot of companies, when they think about marketing, they equate it to you know acquisition. There's a lot of uh, you know, focus on driving demand and driving leads and feeding the sales team. And sometimes brand is an afterthought. Sometimes PR is reactive. Talk about the importance of having good balance between feeding the acquisition and growth engine of the business, but doing that by also building a foundation of a strong brand and PR strategy as well. Yeah, look, I think it, it really depends on, I think, the type of business you're in. So if you're selling, you know, a, a product to SMBs, Android has a freemium component to it, whereby people can start using it immediately for free. And then as they start to use it more and more, they then, you know, potentially move into being paying customers. I think there's definitely more flexibility for those kinds of companies to actually go directly to PR as an avenue to gain awareness for their free product, assuming that it's in a space where maybe there was only paid products before and that can then become news. But I'd probably say for most B2B companies, uh, they're, they're typically more focused on the enterprise, in my experience. And so I think because they're focused on the enterprise, they don't often have free products or free trials that are available. So it makes that kind of go-to-market a little bit more difficult. And I think in those instances, it's really hard to actually connect PR to the demand gen machine at, you know, in, a, in a more basic way in the sense of lead gen or MQL gen. But I think where PR can be incredibly useful is actually in terms of creating opportunities or accelerating opportunities for a B2B sales team. And what I mean by that is, you know, if a big publication creates content about your culture or anything like that, obviously going to help you get in front of new prospects that might then go to your website a little bit later, Google it or go directly to it, um, and then learn a bit more about you. But typically I think where it's most useful is actually allowing sales reps to send some of those articles to people that they're in an active sales cycle with. And it functions similar to, you know, a case study or a customer success study, but it's just that, that another social proof point that allows a sales team to, to help, I guess, satisfy a potential buyer's concerns about buying a new piece of software. And so I think that's where it can be really valuable. And that's why I think it's important to, 
to focus on higher level topics that are more aligned with thought leadership or culture or strategy versus trying to focus your PR efforts specifically on your product or features because product or features style PR, just it won't get coverage by the main and bigger publications. Um, and also, that's not really the kind of article that you can then email to a CEO or a CMO or whoever your senior executive is that you're trying to sell to to um, to kind of nurture them along in the sales process because it's just like, again, talking about yourself. However, if you can post them an article that talks, you know, from yourself or from your CEO or CMO about, you know, a unique strategy that they're applying to their, you know, the way that we hire or the way that we do our marketing, then it's like more thought leadership. And then I actually think that, you know, the senior buyer that you're trying to sell to as a salesperson actually truly appreciates the content because it is interesting. It is educational. And so... I think there are some of those ways that you can do that. But, you know, I think in general, a lot of people don't take the opportunity in B2B businesses to actually start to build their own personal brand. And I think that's one of the biggest things and biggest pieces of feedback I would give to, you know, any person that's currently working in a B2B business today, whether they're a salesperson, you know, a marketing coordinator, a customer success person, anything, is I would tell them to go and speak to whoever it is that runs their company blog and ask them what are some topics that they need content for that you can create. And so that way you can start to, you know, build your personal brand on your company blog in a certain niche or whatever it is that you specialize in. And I then use that kind of content to then place myself on in other publications. So you start to leverage your company blog as social proof for you as a, you know, a thought leader in your own right. And then you reach out to maybe tier four or tier five publications and have them, you know, contribute some content there. And then once you've done that, you know, then maybe email a tier three or a tier two publication with an offer to do a guest piece of content for them. And you slowly work your way up the ladder. And then before you know it, you know, after a couple of years, you're creating content as a guest contributor at Entrepreneur or Inc.com or Forbes. And that's truly all I did, actually, over the, you know, the, the last five or ten years was just slowly create more and more content and then slowly, you know, as I got more confident, reached out to bigger and bigger publications. And I think more and more people should be doing that, but they're not. Yeah, I think it's I think you're right. I think it's important. And I think that, you know, when you can create content that isn't about you, but is about the people you care about that sort of addresses sort of their challenges, helps make them better, gives them insights. Um, it serves both purposes. You don't have to toot your own horn to create content that makes you more valuable, that makes you more authentic, that makes you someone that people want to increasingly listen to more. And, and I think your, your advice on PR is important. Uh, I think that you know, the too often, I mean, we use the phrase all the time here, even for demand gen purposes, you know, you can't buy a beer with a marketing qualified lead. And while that is true, you also can't buy a beer with a, with the press clipping, right? And so the goal of generating more press clippings in and of itself is not necessarily the right goal. But I think if you, if you can think about the buying journey, if you can think about what instigates interest among your prospects, and I think Serious Decisions calls it the challenging of the status quo. If you can get your prospects to think differently about their current problem, to, to, to qualify, to, to quantify the problem that they did or didn't know that they have, that anybody in the organization could do that. Your demand gen programs can do that. Your sales team can do that. I think that is a great focus for PR, and it's a great way to make PR a strategic component of, of, of manufacturing and building demand. Wrapping up here with Ryan Bonici. He's the CMO of G2 Crowd. And Ryan, just one more question for you that we ask a lot of people. And looking through your content and your you know Twitter feed, it's clear that you are you're a you're a voracious reader, and you know what Reed Hoffman often calls the infinite learner. Who are some of the people that have been the most valuable to you as you've grown in your career, whether they are writers, speakers, 
They can be dead or alive. Who are some of the people you recommend other marketing leaders and aspiring marketing leaders pay attention to and listen to and learn from? Gosh, you know, it really that's a really interesting question. And um, I'm trying to think about it. I mean, I've been incredibly lucky, I'd say, over my career. to, And part of it is, I think, also, I've been kind of really selective about who I work with is that when I'm, you know, trying to get a job, if I'm thinking about moving to another company, it's not just for the company. It's not just for the role. It's for who am I going to be surrounded by and who am I going to learn from? And so, you know, I'd say that I think I've been really just really freaking lucky and some of my past companies to work for in really incredible bosses. So, you know, at Exact Target, um, you know, I worked for an amazing leader there who taught me so much about field marketing um, that I probably couldn't have learned online. And then, you know, in my last company, a HubSpot, you know, our, our CMO, so my boss at the time, his name is Kip Bodnar, K-I-P-P-B-O-D-N-A-R. And he's just an, a, an incredible marketer, someone that totally understands demand gen, understands how to build a funnel, but then also understands PR, he understands product marketing. He's just incredibly well-rounded human. And, um, you know, I, I, learned, I, I feel like I've learned 85% of everything I know about marketing from him and from the HubSpot marketing team from when I was there. So I feel super grateful for working for them. And, I mean, I think through the years as well, I've just started to reach out to more and more people and started start to make connections with people that – you know, I really respect and think are fascinating. And so, you know, I was just chatting over email earlier today with Eric Wan, who's the CEO at Zoom, which is, you know, an incredible conferencing software solution. And, you know, just reached out to him and said, hey, I would love to sync up with you. I know you guys are on the G2 Crowd grid. I want to get some feedback from you about G2 Crowd and what you love and what you want to change. And, you know, I'm just always trying to connect with new people. And, and I think the only other piece of the maybe like really tactical feedback I could give, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs or aspiring marketers that want to move up into marketing leadership roles is once you can identify a few really smart people, what I then start to do is I start to, it's a little scary, maybe I, I start to stalk them. Um, on, on the interwebs, not in real life, firstly, just let me put that out there. But like what I would do is I'd look at who do they follow on Twitter? Who do they follow on Instagram? And I'd like start to peruse some of those different people and start to see who they follow. And it starts to build almost this spider web. And what's crazy is over time you start to realize that the, the A players that are out there, the women, the men that are out there that are doing really incredible things, they're all connected in different ways. Um, and so you start to realize there are patterns and there are people that are like connected between these people. That's awesome. We are going to have to wrap up. I, I don't know if you can see see Paul on the other side of the on the other side of the the uh, the the, uh, the cage here. He is he is increasingly dramatically telling me to wrap this up because we got to get onto the next show in the uh, Lead Funnel Network. But I really appreciate Ryan Bonici, the CMO at G2 Crowd, joining us today. We covered a lot of ground, a lot of great ideas here. If you want to share this episode with your peers, listen to it again. You'll be able to find it on salespipelineradio.com here in a couple of days. We will also have a summary of this conversation up on HeinzMarketing.com next week. Dana you join us next week and every week, 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern, for more great conversations with B2B sales and marketing leaders. On behalf of my amazing producer, Paul, this is Matt Heinz. Thanks for joining us for another week of Sales Pipeline Radio. You've been listening to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio on the ever-growing funnel channel for at-work listeners like you.